0: One of the most painful things that we can do to each other is not talk. In any of our relationships, whether it is in our marriage or romantic relationships, in our friendships, or even in our workplace relationships, if we choose not to talk to each other, it is only going to be painful. In our marriages, if we choose not to talk to each other, there will be so much room for miscommunication because there is no communication. And in our friendships, it's the same thing. And in our workplaces, yes, it is the same thing there too. When we choose not to talk to each other, we tend to fill the gap of that silence with all kinds of things. We draw conclusions as to why we're not talking to each other We try and imagine ways it could be better, but never really put it into practice. We fill it with anything we can to try and make sense of the silence. What's even harder, though, than living in this gap where there's no communication, no talking, is when one person is talking and the other person isn't listening. Whether it's in our marriages where a spouse is sharing, is communicating with the other spouse and that person isn't listening or communicating back. Or in our one-sided friendships where we're always the one to ask how they're doing but never hear back from them. Or in our workplaces where we're asking for clarification on how to do things but we're not getting any feedback. When we are talking and it seems like no one is listening, it is incredibly painful for us. And I believe that in our spiritual journeys, it's the same thing. Whether it's that there is no communication at all between us and God, or God is speaking and communicating to us and we're not listening, there's a great deal of pain in that gap that silence creates. Where we will fill in that gap with ideas about who God is or why he's not talking to us, Or we'll fill in that gap with self-depreciating thoughts, thinking that we're not good enough for God to talk to us. But the truth might be that God is talking, is communicating, but we're not really listening or are open to listening. And that creates another world of pain, but mostly on the side of God, where he grieves that that is happening and this is actually part of the big picture of the people of God that there was a time where God was communicating and nobody was listening and it would happen actually quite frequently as we've talked about in the series we talked about how God has created everything good And that in the midst of everything good, he gave people, us, a responsibility to care for all that goodness. And in caring for that goodness, we sometimes, actually, we completely chose to go our own way. And as a result of going our own way, we messed up the good thing God had made. And as we messed it up, as we chose to say, hey, I know better than you, God, the whole world starts to unravel. Everything is just wrong. But God makes a promise, a covenant with us, his people, and says, hey, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. And so long, long ago to Abraham, he made this promise and it was for his people always to know. But... But in the midst of waiting to see how God is blessing us and God is fulfilling that promise, we made choices to look for blessings on our own. So we went after idols that we thought would meet our needs immediately when we thought God was distant or just not talking. But again, the truth was God was and they weren't listening. So God would send people into those moments. They were judges, they were kings, they were prophets, to speak for God into those moments to those people who had walked away and followed idols. And God would do that for hundreds and thousands of years. Continuously, God was inviting people to come back to him so that they could know that he loved them deeply and that he was there for them. And that that promise from long ago, that covenant, that central actual theme in the big picture story of the Bible was that God would bless them and they would be a blessing to others. But that desire for that immediate response kept leading them away from God and to other things that were not good. So what does God do? He keeps sending people into the moments. But it comes to a point It comes to a point, if we read through the Old Testament, we go through these individuals we call prophets that we talked about in the last message, and it comes to a point where God seems to stop using them. Maybe it's because no more people are really attentive to God in the same way they were, so God doesn't have an option. He doesn't have people he can invite to do what they had been doing. But it seems to stop after a prophet named Malachi. And Malachi tells this interesting prophecy where it's almost like a conversation between God and his people. Where God says, hey, I love you, and I am there for you. And as people say, well, when were you there for us? You were never there for us. And then he explains, well, this is when I was there for you. And he says, but you haven't really loved me. And they would say, well, yeah, we do what we're supposed to do. Well, actually, what you do is quite selfish. That when you do things to work, when in particular it had to do with sacrifices, you would bring the worst things to God. And God would say, well, that's not acceptable. That's not what this is about. This isn't the relationship that we have. This isn't the covenant agreement we had. And so the people would keep bringing their junk to God, saying, that's good enough. And God would be saying, no, that's that's not a relationship. You want me to do everything for you, and that's not a relationship. And he basically says, well, then there won't be a relationship. And the people complain. and said, God, you know, why are you never there for us? And he says, well, listen, I've been there all along, but I will send someone. And when that someone comes, you will realize how wrong you've been. And the text continues, and they keep going back and forth, and it comes to the end of Malachi. And at the end of Malachi, God says this to his people. He says, that surely the day is coming, and it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left on them, but for you who revere my name. So there's God saying, "Hey, there. There's going to be a day coming where those who disregard God, who those who who blaspheme, those who say things against God, and try to present God as different than He is, those who worship idols. There's going to come a day where they will just end up ruined." Nothing will be good for them, he says. And, and there's not going to be even like an element of that. He says, but for you, for those of you who do revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays and will go out and frolic like well-led calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord. So he says, you know, there's going to be people who completely disregard me and their day is coming to an end. But for those of you who know, those of you who embrace this covenant, this relationship, guess what? There will be healing and there will be life. And you will go out like calves who are eating in the pasture. You just have everything you need. And you are going to, well, he says, trample on the wicked. But what it basically means is saying is there are no more. They're done. So you're walking over their graves. That's kind of the picture that he gives. And he says, this is what's going to happen. And he says, but this is the key. You have to remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, this was the problem. The people were not remembering what they had been told by God. And it happens early. It happens when that first idol appears, that Moses goes up to the mountain at Horeb to get the instructions from God. They've already been rescued by God. They've already seen amazing things like the sea is parting, like there's plagues coming down, all kinds of stuff. And they ignore God and build a cow thinking, well, this is better than God because God's taking a while. And the whole point is that, no, they haven't been paying attention. So God uses Moses, he uses Joshua, he uses Judges, he uses kings, he uses prophets to say, hey, you've got to remember your side of the relationship. It's not a one-way street. You can't do all the talking if nobody else is listening. It's not going to solve anything. There's no real relationship there. So he says you need to remember Those instructions. He says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The last words God shares through a prophet that is recorded to the people of Israel is this. That you, you forgot how much I loved you and you didn't act like you knew I loved you and you behaved completely wrong, but God says, I still love you and I will give you a chance to step back into that love. The message that seems to come out of Malachi is that people don't change. They keep going away from God, but God is consistent in loving them and always gives them an option to come back just like us. No matter how far we move away from God, no matter how far we've been silent, how much we've been ignoring God, God is always giving us an opportunity to come back. But for the people of Israel, there was about 400 years where the words of prophets stopped. Now, it doesn't mean nothing was happening. It doesn't mean God wasn't present and there weren't people who were trying, to follow God, there are some writings throughout that time. And if you've come from like a Catholic or an Orthodox or even an Ethiopian Christian perspective, well, there are books called the deuterocanonical books that that hold some of the stories of that time. And a lot of it was people kind of retelling what's already happened. And some of it was kind of telling stuff that you weren't in the Old Testament or the Jewish Bible before, but they kind of added in. And there's one story in this section called the Assumption or the Testament of Moses, where it's about a hundred years before Jesus, where there's a story of a man made Taxo, who was a righteous Levite, and he had seven sons, and he saw how the people were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. So they go off to a cave and say they're willing to die instead of doing wrong in God's eyes. And it's believed in, in the text that's follows in the Testament of Moses and in the Assumption of Moses, is that that will usher in what's called the kingdom of God. That in the midst of this reality that people are straying away from God, and in those 400 years, something starts to develop called Hellenistic Judaism, which was kind of a intermingling of Greek thought and philosophy and ways of life with Judaism. So the people of Israel started to develop things like synagogues, where they would have their assemblies and they would teach in a certain way, and it was all kind of adopting the culture of, that was around them. And so they started to become like that culture with a distinct Jewish flair. And in those 400 years, there were people who did not like this, and people like this story of Taxo. Uh, whether it actually happened or not, we don't really know. There's a lot of confusion on when exactly this was written and what it's really about. But the story kind of illustrates that through sacrifice, the kingdom of God is going to come about. And that kingdom of God is the pivotal piece of the big picture, that the kingdom of God is actually what it's all about, that God is king and we are meant to be part of his kingdom. But what is the kingdom of God? Some of us, when we hear that, we have this picture in mind, and we have this picture that it's kind of like up in the sky, you know, the pearly gates. It's in the clouds. It's like that old cream cheese commercial where there's like an angel sitting on a cloud eating a bagel, and we're like, how do they sit on clouds? They should fall through. I don't know. But hey, it's it's the kingdom of God. It's heaven. But that's not actually what the Bible talks about. And in fact, the imagery and the language that it uses to talk about the kingdom of God has little to do with the life to come and everything to do with the life now. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't have anything to do with what's to come. Actually, there's a whole, there is a reality that some of what the kingdom of God is, is not yet. There is stuff to come, but there's a kingdom of God that is now. And that is a lot of what Jesus speaks about that the kingdom of God is now and not yet. So it's about the future, but it's also about right now. And that there's a picture that Jesus gives us that this kingdom that it's all about is so, so good that if we live it, we are participating in the not yet that we're waiting for. So what is the kingdom of God? Jesus uses this term over and over again. If you've read through the New Testament, you you might be uncertain about this. In Matthew's gospel, the term that gets used is kingdom of heaven. So that's why that idea of going up somewhere when you die kind of comes from. That, that. That's what he's talking about. But the reason why they use the term heaven instead of God, as in Luke does, as uh, the other Gospels do, is because it was written primarily to a Jewish audience who would have been offended that the name of God was used in the text. And so to use it in that way, Matthew in, through the inside of the Holy Spirit, we use the word heaven, which means the place where God is. And so heaven isn't necessarily up there in the stars, though one of the ways of understanding heaven is that it's the sky, it's the atmosphere. It's mainly used to describe where God is. And so Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven, which can cause us some confusion, I know. But the rest of the Gospels use the term kingdom of God because they're not so worried about if they're going to offend their audience in the words they use because they're written to a different audience. People like me and you. Well, maybe not you. Maybe you are from a Jewish tradition, so maybe that would be offensive to you. But for me as being someone who did not grow up in a Jewish tradition, was not born in Israel, was not attached to the Old Testament the way Jewish people were, kingdom of God makes more sense to me because it's easier to understand that the kingdom of God is where God is king. So what is the kingdom of God? Jesus has an interesting statement about it in Luke's gospel. There are many different parables that Jesus uses to describe the kingdom of God. He talks about it being like a mustard seed. Some of you might be familiar with that. That it's, that it's so tiny, but it grows into this huge thing it gives us picture that the kingdom of God is unstoppable. And there are different images about how it's so valuable that people would sell everything they have to have it. It's the pearl of great price. But Luke uses Jesus' words. He shares what Jesus says about this kingdom in Luke chapter 17. In verse 20, it says this. It says, Once, on being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, so the Pharisees, being those religious leaders of the time, who would who would teach other people about who God is, why that matters, all those kind of things, and kind of became really restrictive and made their rules an idol and kind of ignored the love of God in many ways. Jesus often gets into conflict with these people, and often in those conflicts, there's a conversation that starts. And one of the times, it doesn't say exactly how it came about, but it says that those Pharisees, those religious leaders said, hey, Jesus, when is this going to happen? They would have been familiar with the testament, the assumption of Moses, that when Taxo died, the kingdom of God would come about. They would have been familiar with the end of Malachi, knowing, hey, we're still waiting for these moments to happen. We've been waiting a while. So they go to Jesus, who's been respected throughout the land. He's been healing people. He's been teaching people. And people have been following him. And they say, hey, okay, Jesus, you think you're so good? When does this happen? When does this happen? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst The kingdom of God is not something that can be observed nor will it will people say here it is or there it is because because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's here, Jesus says. So the kingdom of God is not something where you can be like, wow, look over there. That's the kingdom. Look what's happening. But Jesus says, hey, it's not like that. It's not something that you'd be like, wow, look at that. Look, look, we can see everything. Like, look, there's, you know, there's lightning and, and you know, there's earthquakes and there's all these things and that's the kingdom of God coming. He says, it's not like that. It's not like that. Actually, it's incredibly quiet. It's incredibly secretive. It's subtle. It's subversive because it's actually here. Jesus says that the thing you're waiting for is present in that moment. What Jesus does here is he challenges a thinking of that time, that there's going to be some grand event that will demonstrate that God God, and everyone's going to be like, wow, I guess we're, we're wrong all this time. And the people were waiting for it, and they were waiting for God to enact punishment for those people who were not listening all along. And so the Pharisees, likely when they were asking this, were thinking, hey, we're going to be good because we've done everything right. We don't mess up. We follow all the rules. And if you follow the rules. We're going to tell you you don't follow the rules. That's how good we are at following the rules. And so they say, hey, hey, Jesus, give me a timeline. How long do I have to be doing good for? Come on, tell me. And Jesus says, hey, hey, you got it all wrong. It's not some big grand event. It is a subtle, subversive movement that is happening right now. Jesus is the kingdom of God present in that moment. Jesus is the representation that God is king over all of creation and he's walking around with dirty feet and eating fish and bread with some people that people shouldn't be associating with. The kingdom is not what they expect, but it is good. Jesus is presenting to these people, these people who are religious, who think they've got it all figured out, to say, hey, the way God is doing something is very different than what you think. The way God is doing something is actually way better than what you imagined. And as you thought you understood from what people had written, and had talked about wars, and talked about all these things, well, actually that's happening. But it's not happening the way you think it is because it's actually something much more subtle, much more subversive, much more empire-crushing, because the kingdom of God is a king who walks amongst the people and will die for them. The kingdom of God is a way of living that is completely contrary to what they understood at the time. For them, they thought to usher in the kingdom was to do everything right and to tell everybody how wrong they were. But for Jesus... He said, it's actually here, and you see it in how I live, speak, act. Jesus is the way of the kingdom, and the way of the kingdom is better than the way of religion that tells you you have to do all these things. Instead, it's a way of understanding that the king, the creator, the one who is victorious over death, came to earth, to give us opportunity to participate in what he's doing, which is the renewal, the redemption, the rescue of everything. And when we participate in that, we are living in the kingdom. And it's not so much about telling people they're wrong, but it's about you living right. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than a religious system that says you have to do this or you don't do this or you do this and you don't, or you go to heaven or you go to hell. It actually has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with how you live right now representing the king of all creation. The one who created everything and said it was good. The one who gave a simple instruction to say, hey, this is all yours to care for, all of creation, do good by it. And yet we chose to follow a path that said, hey, we know better than God, and in effect, damaged all of creation for eternity, it seems. But he kept sending reminders to us, even when we would move away from him and follow other gods or other thought patterns or other religions or other other idols, thinking we knew better or they knew better. And all the while, he would send people into our midst, these prophets, these people who speak for him and say, hey, come back to justice, come back to mercy, come back to love. That is the God who is waiting for you. And we wouldn't. So God steps in. The king of this kingdom steps in, in Jesus. The God who is called with us, Emmanuel, steps in to this creation, this broken moment, and says, hey, guess what? That thing you've been waiting for is actually here right this moment. For those people in the first century, the kingdom of God was now. Jesus was there. Yes, things weren't perfect. Things weren't the way they were fully supposed to be. That's the not yet. That's what we wait for. But for the people right now in the 21st century who may be hearing this for the first time, guess what? The kingdom of God is now. And you, you are part of it. And If you participate, you are doing the work of the kingdom. Yes, there is stuff you're waiting for, the not yet, the fullness of healing, the fullness of life, where there's no more evil, no more sin, no more death, no more suffering, and we wait for that. But in the right now where we find ourselves, guess what? The kingdom is present because Jesus is alive and real. Death doesn't stop him. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of that earth that were conquered by war and conquered by power and pride and ego. The kingdom of God is a subtle subversive movement that stepped into a first century world that was conquered in that way. And yet he upset that whole conquering empire by dying on a cross so that you and I could participate in the kingdom that is about renewal, love, recreation. Not about escape to get to somewhere else, but of right now, how do we participate and live like Jesus invites us to? When he says to us in John's gospel, John 10, when he says, I have come to give you life in all of its fullness, he means I have come to help you live in the kingdom now. Not just when you die and something happens to you, right Now, as Malachi prophesied 400 years before, he said, hey, there's someone coming, Elijah, a prophet who was John the Baptist, who was calling people back to God. And that if people would remember, if people remember what God invited them to, this relationship, this covenant, then they would live in the kingdom. And Jesus says, hey, guess what? The kingdom can be now if you come back all you have to do. We long so much for things to be made right. We long for a world where there's no suffering, where there's no disease, where there's no heart attacks or cancer or COVID. We long for a world where there's no broken relationships, where there's no homeless, where there's no animal abuse. We long for these worlds where the ocean isn't full of plastic and the Earth isn't drying out, and we long for these worlds where the air is clean to breathe for everyone, and we don't have to worry about the water we drink. We long for these worlds, and all the while, Jesus is saying, guess what? That can be now if you join me, because the kingdom is in your midst. And maybe in your lifetime, you will not experience the fullness of that healing love that Jesus has for us. And maybe in your lifetime, even your children's lifetime, they will not see the end of oppression or injustice or just lack of mercy and love we have for creation. And maybe they won't, and maybe there's a not yet that we're longing for, but it doesn't mean we don't start now. Jesus says to the people who are saying, hey, when is this all going to happen? He says, guess what? It's right here, right now. It's in your midst. This kingdom, this kingdom of God, this central point in the big picture, the fullness of the story of God and his people is happening all around us if we look. The kingdom of God is in our midst. It is a subtle quiet, almost secretive movement that is subverting the kingdoms of this world that are about power and about might and about pride and, and about oppression. And it is upturning all of those things when we live in the way of Jesus that involves loving God with everything we have and demonstrating it through how we love neighbors. our neighbors as ourselves. God's sovereign rule, his healing love, is there for the taking for you. But not only is it there for you to grasp hold of, it is there for you to participate in. And he's just waiting for you. Let's pray. God, you are. The King of your kingdom, and that is a kingdom that we long for. We want things to be made right. We want things to be uh, to be the way we know they could be, where they are they are demonstrated through love and through healing and through life. We long for a time when there's no pain or oppression or suffering. We long for a time where there's no disease or no anger or no rage or war. But you still tell us that that kingdom starts now, that time starts now, and it is ours for the taking if we come to you. If we recognize Jesus, Jesus, who you really are, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that if we come to understand that you are king, that you are the king who died and rose again for us, if we recognize that for our forgiveness of our sins where we have gone astray from this kingdom where we have lived lives that don't reflect these kingdom principles where we have denied you not listened when we turn away from that and we turn to you in this kingdom we are participating in the renewal of all of creation in the healing love you give god and we need that so badly now father i pray that the Holy Spirit, you remind us, those of you, those of us who say, those like me who say, I follow Jesus, that we live like it daily, remembering that the kingdom is here and we are participating in it. And if we're not participating in it, we're missing out, but so is all of the world waiting for this healing. The kingdom of God isn't just for us, God. We know that. You promised Abraham long ago that your covenant, your agreement, your promise with him was to bless him so that he could be a blessing and that everyone would be blessed through him. And that same promise seems to come up throughout the generations that you are always inviting us back to that blessing. And that in Jesus, we can have that. We can have the life in its fullness. But it's not just for our own selfish gain. It's not just for us in these moments so we feel good and we get what we want. But it is so we give. God, we long for the fullness of your kingdom, but help us, Holy Spirit, to see our pardon it right now, because the kingdom of God is in our midst. Remind us, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.